0: Welcome to Latinas from the Block to the Boardroom, where wisdom comes from everywhere. This is a podcast about generational wisdom shared to help build a bridge for future generations and to build stronger communities through education, technology, and health. Welcome to Latinas from the Block to the Boardroom. Hola, hola, we are closing out our season four on a powerful perspective on our community narratives moving forward into season five. I'm always thankful for your support, your sponsorship opportunities, and the generosity in sharing this podcast with family and friends. All right, let's get to it. Elsie Escobar is a Latina podcasting pioneer with 17 years plus as a podcaster. She's a Salvadorian immigrant she is the co-founder of She Podcast with 20,000 members and the director of community and content at Libsyn, a hosting, distribution, and monetization podcasting platform. However, she didn't start out in podcasting. It actually came to her after being denied multiple times in Hollywood for not looking like what the traditional stereotypical Latina should look like. You know, we're deemed in the industry, especially in Hollywood, to look like the J-Lo or the Selma Hayek or even further back, right, to be the pretty Latina or a gangster Chola. I mean, that's a big spectrum. It's time for us to be ourselves. And with the various degrees that we have in education, our careers, and even how we see our entrepreneurial journey, this is a lens that constantly holds us down And this is where we have the opportunity through podcasting to change our narrative. Now, whether you're a first gen, a second gen, or like myself, a third generation, Californian, Aslan, Mexican-American, Latina, podcasting has accelerated tremendously over the last few years, specifically with AI coming into the space. I was just at podcast movement and everybody is talking about AI now. But podcasting is doing more than just leveraging technology and our voices. It is giving us our own narrative, our own space to create a one to one dialogue with our community, with women of color, with the LGBTQ communities, and something that we can leave behind for our legacies to share our stories, our ancestral stories, her stories that will not be interrupted but will only give us more power for future generations and something that AI cannot erase. In fact, it will enable the AI algorithms and future generations to know how to prompt these questions about powerful Latinas moving forward. So thank you, Elsie, for sharing your voice today on Latinas from the Block to the Boardroom. Ladies and gentlemen, because there are a lot of gentlemen listening these days. I just checked my analytics. I'm like, what's that all about? We have a pioneer in podcasting. Her name is Elsie Escobar, if you don't know her. She has been in the podcasting space for about 17 years, a little over 17 years. So we are going to get to know Elsie a little bit more. We have met a few times through podcast movement. She is a co founder of She Podcast. But the reason why we're here on this podcast today is because she is a Latina who is changing a lot of narratives or paving the way for a lot of us folks that are coming into the space, especially people of color, the LGBTQ community, women of color, and just women in general, right? We're getting into this industry that has been dominated. By mostly white men, and technology. So, Elsie, thank you for coming on to the show today. So let's start on this uh, two-decade journey, how you got to the U.S., and what made you want to pursue this journey into podcasting? Because to me, it's very interesting because 17 years ago, technology was just kind of coming into its own
1: as far as all of us getting on board. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? So it's astounding to me how I was so ahead of my time, if you will, you know, but not by mistake, but just by providence. We came to this country, my little family of five and five suitcases came on an airplane and we landed in Los Angeles from El Salvador. So just my immediate family, we were little immigrants. We came in in 1981 and we We're a little bit on the whole uh, refugee, like war refugee type of a thing. You know, we left. It was not safe um, at all. I was exposed to lots of violence when I was a little person. You know, I remember specifically we came to this country on July 2nd. And interestingly enough, you know, my brother's birthday is July 3rd. But what happens in this country on July 4th? It's Independence Day, right? So mind you, we didn't know this, right? But we stayed in a hotel for almost either 15 days or 30 a month or something like that in a motel. Very first time I've ever been in in a motel. And so we stayed in there and the 4th of July came in and what happens at night on the 4th of July? And so I remember specifically immediately getting freaked out by the sounds because i thought we left one place it's the same everywhere else right because during that time in the 1980 1981 it was incredibly common to hear balaceras or like gunfight um it was incredibly common to hear really loud helicopters or where you hear planes coming Literally, like they were about to hit your, like you felt it in your gut when it was coming in. There was lots of different things that you just took for granted as normal. I was part of a gunfight after we were just leaving school. There was like just lots of guns. And I remember my best friend's dad had picked us up from school, who was my neighbor. And he literally said, girls, get down. And we had to get down behind the car and... I mean, I don't even know what was going on, but it, obviously it is not something you want to remember. And so there were lots of sort of traumatic events that were cemented into my consciousness. I was eight, nine years old. So I came to this country when I was nine. And it took a while to like unwind from the fear because you are afraid for your life a lot over the loud noises and things like that. But I didn't have like conversational English so I had to, you know, English as a second language classes when I was in elementary school, and all of that stuff. And I, I was a pretty fast learner because by the time I got I got here in fourth grade, by the time I was in sixth grade, I won third place in the spelling bee. So I was, I was like, I'm a go getter, man. Yeah, it's
0: interesting. I've talked to a lot of first gens or folks that have come over during that time, and. Their immediate reaction with the family is safety, right? So I can't even imagine you coming over. Thank goodness for people that brought you over, right? I mean, there's a reason why people come to this country and they don't understand. And by the way, the U.S. was involved in the 1980s down there in Central America. So it's not about going down there to help. It's a very complicated story. I'm sure you can find it somewhere in the history books, but what I'm saying is having that just shock your system and then coming here the day before the 4th of July, I can't even imagine how traumatic from just the move to that.
1: That's intense, Elsie. It was very intense. And dude, th- so there's one other aspect of this that was kind of like, whoa. So we got to this country, like I said, 4th of July, 15 days later, we got hit by a drunk driver as we were exiting the freeway and the drunk driver came full speed out of the exit. So we had exited the freeway and the drunk driver came and hit us from behind and we hit a car in front of us and the entire car was like a sandwich. And everybody that looked at the car thought, poor people in that middle car, which was our car. And it was, I think, I believe it was a rental because I didn't think we didn't, we didn't have a car at that time. But the only thing that happened to us that was my little baby brother was sleeping on my lap. And he had just turned three the day before. So he was little. And because we were hit, he kind of like moved forward and he broke his clavicle and he had to have stitches on his eye. Other than that, nothing else happened. So that was another sort of very traumatic thing that happened to our little family. We were just trying to be okay. Well,
0: there's a reason for everything. And we're going to fast forward now because you are making an impact in an industry where you do have a lot of narratives going out and we're sharing yours today. That was very powerful, Elsie, because A lot of people can't get over that trauma. It's very hard to assimilate from that. Some people get stuck and your family probably had some good resources here. And now you're just being a part of the society and you're giving this platform and room for other people to share their voices, not telling them how, but just sharing knowledge of techniques and systems and platforms and tools. And you never thought you would be doing that,
1: right? I'm going to call something out before I start talking about that. And you're right. It's like there are some folks that get stuck. And in terms of resources, we had as many resources as you can prior to coming here. And so calling out the privilege that we had living in a country at that time that was very unstable, incredibly dangerous, right? So regardless of your situation, you were going to be hit by that. My dad was an architect at that time, and therefore he had flown to the US and gotten himself a job. And therefore we were coming to this country with somebody who was an architect. So... There's that aspect of it. And he had already a job, which is why we decided to come all the way here. And to add to the equation that I happen to present fairly white or fairly light skinned. I have lighter skin than most. And particularly I have light eyes, which as you know, in our country, is in our countries of origin, particularly in a lot of peoples of color, colorism is a thing, right? You get bonus points for your skin color, particularly with your eye color. And so I did not know this, by the way, you don't know these things when you are younger. And these are all very beneficial and resourceful things that work in your favor as an immigrant. And it was for me, right? So even though I was or am an immigrant from El Salvador, I present and can get away with at a glance, possibly the whiteness leads the way sometimes, right? Mind you, where I did go, I went to Burbank and Burbank was jam-packed with all of us brown folk. And so there is a little bit of an element of fitting in in that respect, but also not filling in because there were a lot of folks who were from Mexico or other parts that were not where I'm from who push back. So we within ourselves fight a lot or don't like each other. And so that stress was really rough in a lot of different ways. But anyway, I'm just calling that out simply because of that. And I happen to have fought from then on. You know, my dad, like I said, he had a job, but then he, as soon as he got here, he got fired. As soon as he got here, so he had to start again. And he did do the whole like, you know, he was working two to three jobs. He was doing the whole, like, you know, working his butt off. We never saw him. Everything, you know, my mom stayed at home. We had lots of troubles and financial stuff that came here and there. We had, you know, there was like lots of things that come with being an immigrant and not having all of the economic resources within that too. So that did happen. But I, I think that I was always somebody who took advantage of every single opportunity that I could. And pushed myself through it. So I ended up paying for my own college and getting grants and scholarships and working jobs and whatnot by the time I got to school. And I went to Loyola Marymount University, which is a private university in Marina del Rey in California. And I did it all, right? It was all me. And I'm very proud of the fact that I was able to do that. I was just listening to another podcast And this is true as well, that there is also a balance whenever you apply for financial aid at a university that if you make even like as a family, if the family makes even just this little bit more, you don't get any financial aid, even though you really are in need of financial aid. Like it just becomes that. So what I ended up doing is because I knew my family, of course, my dad would give the like anything and everything to pay for me, no matter what. He would have paid anything. So what I ended up doing is I became financially independent legally at that time. And I put in the paperwork, even though there was no rift, like it's not like I want to be independent from my parents. It was really just done for the financial aid. And at that time it worked. And therefore... I took the burden on just myself. Like I took them out of the equation altogether. And that's how I was able to sort of really work at being able to make it through the professional. But now moving back to the podcasting space, I did get my master's degree in theater as well and ended up in Hollywood serving tables and teaching yoga because one does do that, right? And so got a lot of no's. And again, same type of a thing. J-Lo just was getting kind of, big at that time. And therefore, because there's only one of us, remember, there's only usually one woman of color. And therefore, because you now represent the entirety of a diaspora, nobody could even look at me and say that I could also be another Latina person because I didn't look like her my body wasn't the same, my face wasn't the same, my hair wasn't the same, my eyes were not the same. Like there was zero like creativity in people casting me. And therefore I got a lot of no's because Hollywood is that. You don't look Latina enough. Yeah, no, we
0: know the the
1: narrative there, which is why I love podcasting and
0: having you in here on this platform to talk about that because the narrative must change It is changing the dominant narrative today with all of us being here in this space, right? Hollywood has a way to go, but that's changing, too. There's a few people that are changing it. We know Eva Longoria is changing it right now. There's a X house, John Leguizamo. You know, we're all pushing for the change. Chicano Hollywood, that's a new hub that's coming out of South L.A. area, redefining our narrative because we've been here for a long time, right? And coming from Central America, our identities have been around for so long. And the narrative that we should embody and be emboldened to of our superpowers has been pushed down. And there's long histories for that. But when we come into this world today of where we are, we're changing that. We're breaking that down And you're here, right? I'm here, you're here, talking about this as a change mechanism to activate people to say, hey, why are we not being more inclusive? Because that's what I'd like folks out there to really ask. Like, why are there not more people of color on our board? Why are there not more people of color in our leadership roles in this industry, right? Why are we not bringing them in? Because the diversity in the space is growing. It's a global market. And when you think about the four top languages in the world, Spanish is number four, right? English is number one. And then there's Chinese and Hindi, right? So that's China and India. So there's a lot there to take in. And a lot of people are speaking Spanish, but they're also bilingual. So we're influencing a lot from music to culture. That's, that's a given. Obviously, but there's other perspectives too in media. And this is one of them, Elsie. So I think we did a long journey to your point here today, being a Latina in this industry and how you came into it, right? Like, what was that pivotal moment when you said, okay, I'm done with throwing pancakes on the table and getting nose in my face? <laughs> <laughs>
1: No, it really was. I think that what ended up happening is, you know, the bottom line when I started to work, when I ended up by a series of many different events, being an actor for a while and really diving into that creative space, it's what opened me up to recognize all of the things that I was capable of. You know, the art of acting provided the opportunity for me to voice other people's pain other people's experience to embody other people because when i was younger you know when in my when i was in high school and even when i was in school being in my own skin was still very challenging it was very hard not hard in the sense that i didn't like myself again as a displaced person you don't know where you belong and and you just don't know exactly who you are and there's just so many layers to the way that our culture sometimes holds us too tight. And then being in a different place is too expansive. And I don't even know where I am. So acting gave me the opportunity to do that. And therefore, I found a lot of wonderful self-expression. Great. But then I came to Hollywood and Hollywood is not artistic. I mean, in the sense of like, you know, in the theatrical, beautiful, That I had during my MFA and really getting into Shakespeare and like all of these other classical works, and and just all of the wonderful beauty of the theater was not LA. And so I didn't know what to do. And then what ended up happening is I discovered podcasting and I thought, here is a venue for me to express myself. Here is something that I feel I can do myself. These people that look like normal, normal in the sense that they're not fancy and they're not like on radio are doing these shows and I'm like, "Wow, I can do that too. I can do a show." So I started to do that and I also felt because it's audio, I felt freedom of not being judged by what I looked like, which was unbelievably like freeing to me. That it was just my voice. Nobody was going to tell me, you're not Latina enough. You're too pretty. You're too this. You're too that. You can't talk like this. You can't talk like that. I could just be myself and I, I could just do it. And so that's why I started to do that. And at that time, I was probably one of the only out of a possible handful of women, period, that was podcasting. At that time, I mean, it was a very small amount. I can't say I was like one of five, but it was very much kind of like that. Like it was not very many of us, you know, doing what we were doing, let alone I started doing a podcast and a yoga podcast of all things. So I was doing a podcast with my class, like I was podcasting my yoga classes. I would talk and do my classes in yoga. And so that was also very weird too, because first of all, why do an audio yoga class? Now it's again, now it's the norm. We have apps like Calm, all the meditation stuff. People listen to me, took me my classes on the go and all this stuff. Like, so I was doing this. I saw the vision way back before for so many reasons. And so I started doing that. But in the process of doing the yoga thing, I ended up being hired by Libsyn, who is the company that I still work for simply because they needed some folks to come in onto the team. I had met Rob Walsh, who is still somebody I co-host the feed with him way back in the day. And the reason that he kind of picked me was because I could not stop talking about how excited I was about podcasting. And I'm like, podcasting this, podcasting that. And I think my enthusiasm, he just was like, I think she would be great to come to advocate for the team and like came in as podcasters relations, which totally made sense. I was happy to talk to podcasters and and I'm still doing that. And so he was right. And it just kind of started from there where I ended up working in podcasting without thinking, like I didn't go into it wanting to do that.
0: Wow. It's interesting how things find you, right? It's almost like Harry Potter when they say, I'm bringing Harry Potter into this, y'all. It's like the one picks the wizard. You know what I mean? It's like the industry picks you, you know? It's like even if you hate the industry, something about it brings you into the industry that you want, right? So <laughs> that we just kind of went the
1: Harry Potter, you know, thing. Oh my gosh. That, but it's true. It's like I fell into it. And I guess if I were to kind of speak to myself back then, there's something about that. Looking now back 17 years back, what would have happened if I would have, you know, said yes to working at Libsyn and learning a little bit more, but then choosing to really double down on my yoga content right? Because what ended up happening is I let it go because it was too much. And I was doing that out of the goodness of my heart. And as you know, podcasting is is a labor of love. And it was a labor of love. And at that time, I couldn't figure out a way to be of service because that's what I was doing when I was in doing my yoga classes. I was being of service to a lot of people who counted on me for, for that. I mean, it was such like... I was all in. I was like, energetically, I was there. I gave everything to my audience. And then I realized I can't do that. I became a mom and that sucked the life out of you. You know, I'm literally like you give life and it sucks it out too. It's weird. So my energy was not there. It was like, I barely could sleep. I could barely do any yoga myself. And I felt it was irresponsible of me to continue to teach people and guide people in these classes. If I could barely take care of my own myself. Like, you know what I mean? So I thought, you know what? Contradiction. I'm like, I'm going to sleep and be with my kids. And I can't be that to you. I can't be your teacher. I have to be a mom now. And so I made a choice then to do that.
0: But it gave you a lot of experience in producing, which was way ahead of probably so many people back then, even having the systems and formats and how you came into, you know, wanting to deliver that and being of service, because you're right. If we think about how that's done today on various levels and how it's attributed to marketing channels, strategic marketing for products and services, how it's put in content to kind of be on apps, how it's shared through All kinds of platforms today. I mean, that was not even a thing back then. It was just content production. And then it was probably just a one way, right? It was just a one way channel. So learning to use technology today versus back then, how do you see the difference now? I'm sure, I know it's a lot. Everyone's like, duh. It takes confidence to do what you did back then (laughs) to where we are today.
1: Yeah. You know, it's like, I think that at that time too, I can't say the industry. I'm not going to say the industry because the industry wasn't really industrial. (laughs) It wasn't like the podcasting industry. It was the podcasting community. That's what it really felt like. And so it was incredibly collaborative because we were all trying to figure it out. Nobody had the one way that worked the best because everybody was cobbling things together. So there were some tools that everybody used, but for the most part, it was very much, this is what I have. And they would go, oh, try this and this and this and do this, right? If I was trying to edit something and I couldn't figure it out, I could just ask. I could ask a podcaster because that's how I... I would listen to podcasts and then I would email them and I would say, I have a question about this. How are you doing this? And we got to know each other through email and emailing the show. That's how we learned about each other. And then Twitter came into the scene and there were a lot of new apps that were happening at that time. So podcasters were on the cusp of early adopters with everything. So podcasters were on Twitter, And so we would go on these channels and we would get to know each other and promote our podcasts and talk about things. And it was like this constant hopping from place to place and getting to discover new tools. So it was very collaborative in nature. And we would all like, even then there was, do you remember Ustream with the U? Mm -hmm. That was one of the very first places where I, I literally live streamed. My yoga classes in my house. Like I would go, let's do a fifteen-minute yoga class, and I would turn on UStream, and people would watch me. We, I was live streaming again in two thousand and six, right? So it's like it's all of these things, and then so I learned because we all engaged. Now that said, now. All of those people have sort of expanded and everything else has become so much more complex. All the SaaS platforms that have come out, all of them are really specifically figuring out one problem to solve. And so they're all diving in. And when you're coming in now, you you have it almost all figured out by software or a piece of hardware. They've So all those troubles we had have been figured out by being streamlined. Even us talking like this, there was no way at that time, to be able to let look at each other. The bandwidth wasn't there, Teresa. The bandwidth was not there. There's no way we could have talked to each other using video. I mean, you know, double-enders were a thing because you could record yourself and I could record myself. And then having to send that file to each other was just crazy. And I mean, it was so many things that we had to figure out to do on our own. And it's now like a one-stop solution for so many different things. Like the tools that I'm using, I'm just astounded by them. Yes, we're not on Zoom, we're on Squadcast.
0: And this is just something we're talking about where people have built this because there are better solutions to what is out there. Zach has been on a prior podcast. You know Zach very well and his team. And it's amazing creating these tools for creators like us to really get our stories, our messages, our non-interrupted voice out into the community to really talk about things that are important to us or things that are going to entertain us or things that you know we don't want to forget about because we can't rely on what's out there today so much. And sources are very important, where you get your data and who's building what. And I was having this conversation with you about my trust issues um, with folks that are coming into the space and saying they have a lot of brand safety, brand trust. They're building things with diversity and inclusion. And the first thing I do is I go to their board or I go to their leadership team and yay, there's a woman, you know, maybe she's white, but she's in a C-suite or there's nobody on the board that's a person of color And yet you're building products that people of color are using more and more. And so a lot of us now are starting to create more of these products and solutions like this platform for one with Zach and Squadcast and others just out of the sheer desire. It's not specifically for Latinos per se, but the thing is, is that we're building it to build that community back. In my mind, Elsie... I'm new to this space. I'm like still in diapers compared to you. Seriously, I'm still in diapers. I'm still in my podcasting diapers. (laughs) But what I'm saying is we are starting to fast forward into technology. Now, I worked in tech for a long time. I worked for some really big companies, but it was on the business level. It was on SaaS platforms. It was on technology stacks. I understand all of this, but people now coming into the space, you can download an app, you can get an app and just kind of start running with it. But there's strategies and it's moving beyond just a hobby, wouldn't you say?
1: Yeah, you know, there is a difference for sure of stepping in now into a space of of creativity and creators right because now there is i'm not i'm going to expand it even beyond podcasting here there is a a creator entire like world of folks who are stepping into the world having created content forever in their lives right there's never not been a time when you're not creating content right it's like All these knots, all this negatives that I just said. But, you know, we are so used to it. We are now a society that constantly puts cameras on ourselves. We understand what using audio is. Even platforms like TikTok and Instagram are taking pieces of audio and making that audio viral and that is picking up. So we understand the concept of adding audios underneath other kinds of either images or anything like that, right? So there is a way to make sure that a video becomes like you can rip. Audio from videos. You can also get a video audio and make it into a video. And all of this is accessible to you in your hands. Like you can do this with a phone, like all of the things that I just mentioned. So the accessibility of that content creation is still there for sure. And you can, as a a creator, be a person who can. Very much focus in on exactly who you are. Now, the key to the whole podcasting aspect of it is that I do feel that it is a lot more intimate in nature. It's a lot more complex and nuanced in nature. It is a deeper... Uh, relationship with those creators, especially if you lead with audio first. There is like a, I feel a groundedness to a lot of those creators because times I feel it's a little bit of a harder lift to be able to reach as many ears maybe or eyes possibly because right now our platforms right now are so visually drawn. Like everything's so visual and, and everything that's visual is the thing that is driving the virality that most people crave. But at the end of the day, the intimacy and the in-depth is what's going to win out. And that's, the, that's what I'm calling right now. We are going to hit a wall when it comes to quick hits of content and constant scrolling and like all the dopamine hits, there's going to be a resistance, especially from the younger generation that's going to crave long form, slow depth, slow, like just not so fast. And podcasters are still going to be around. Now, to go back to your business question, yes, the tools are absolutely there. Like, if you want to come out of the gate and you want to center audio as your business, you can do it fairly easily to set a business up. Whether or not you make money, it's going to take you a while because that's, you know, it's like building a business. You're building a business. It's kind of like, you know, opening up a new restaurant. It's not going to be like, oh, I have a podcast. You make all the money. It's not going to happen in the same way. If you open up a business, any kind, brick and mortar or or whatever, you have to work your butt off to be able to make it work. And you got to work in it. But the tools are there. Like, you know, project management tools are there. All of the AI tools that are coming out to make the process of marketing your podcast. It's like, what? You know, things like Canva to make the artwork work. Like there's so much that (laughs) back in the day, I don't even know. Like we just would put the show out. We would like, the show is out.
0: Yep. Now it's a whole thing. It's definitely very much a strategy. It's a strategy around how, you're going to get the content out there. Like, what is your goal at the end of the day by putting out a podcast? Seriously, that is that's it. What is the goal? Do you really need one? Right. We're talking about you being the pioneer, knowing this evolution of podcasting and understanding the tools, how it has evolved your background and now how it's becoming a data point to make folks and businesses aware that Latinos are listening to podcasts, right? Because we were talking before, like we were earlier in the opening, we're in these white male dominated industries. And when you're just one of the very few people think, oh, this isn't going to be a trend. This is just they're they're qualified, they're, they're in it, they're passionate about this business, this platform, this project. But it's growing and there is a Latino podcast listener report by Edison that came out and they have some very interesting stats about the Latino listener, which is amazing. And it takes a while for these reports to get done and they just don't fall out of the sky, people. I just want to make that very apparent. Research data costs money. It's not something that is easily You know, like, here, we'll do this report for you. Takes a lot of data gathering, making the analysis. And then how do you come up with these numbers, right? You have to pull a lot of data resources. So you are part of this report by discussing it with Edison and a few of the other sponsors that had put it together, like Adonde Media, Libsyn, the company that you're at, SXM Media. LWC Studios and PRX. I mean, all these people had to come together to put this report together. Because why? Because the Latino population in the United States is growing. It is growing. We're contributing to the economy. On my last podcast, I said Latino-owned businesses put in $800 billion, that's with a B, billion dollars into the U.S. economy annually. That's in one year, right? So, and the consumerism of the Latino buying power is almost $3 trillion. So there is some noticing here that needs to be kind of awakened in this space. And you're a part of it now. From where you were to here you are with this podcasting report and presenting this data, it says here that the U.S. Latino Monthly Podcast listeners 34% of U.S. Latino adults, that's an estimated 15 million people today around this time, or actually the data was from last year, that's last year, are listening to podcasts. And most of those are English or Spanish. There's a lot of information. We'll have that in the show notes for you where you can download this report and take a look at it. But I mean, this is something else I want you to like just see you as this person from the very beginning to presenting this information with all these people because you've been a part of that for so long. What do you think about this report when you did it and the stats, like how did it make you feel coming from where
1: you were? It's astounding to me. First of all, kudos to Martina Castro and Juleka Lantigua, another set of two Latinas, and also Gabrielle Gabe from Edison Research, who really championed doing this thing, right? Was they really stepped up to make sure they positioned the benefits for the entire industry to pursue the data, number one. Number two, they also hustled to get sponsors, like you said, to be able to invest in study that was focusing on Latino podcast listeners in the United States, which is like, what? Why? Right? Mind you, seriously. And so that started through their those conversations and just in the sense that, you know, Gabe is a Latino man who works over at Edison. So having a person who can speak to the power that you're speaking to within an organization is always gonna be beneficial. And then once we get together, and again, two other business owners, Martina Castro from Adonde Media, who is the CEO for that company, and Juleka Lantigua, who is also CEO of Lantigua Williams, studios is like it's you have to have that leadership because they also understand the importance of this data why because everybody's asking for it you can't say no because we're like big no because we're all over the place like it doesn't matter if you say all these things and you know it into the you know goodness of your heart and you live it they just want to see the receipts and you're like uh okay hold on and so you kind of have to s- Go figure it all out. So they advocated for this and blessings to all of the companies that, that, you know, took part of it. Lipson being one of them. But again, I'm not giving my own self pats on the back, but we have to have that advocacy within these companies. You know, we have to have people that understand. And usually we are of, we recognize the power of people of color and, and, and what they mean. To the world, to the to the economic world, to the influence that they have everywhere, right? To the influence of culture. I mean, even just I, I can't even, I can't even with all of that stuff. But anyway, so they they recognize that and we did this study focusing on Latino podcast listeners, which is really interesting because it's podcast listeners and they could be people who are immigrants people who are like first gen, second gen, second generation, anybody who basically says they are Latino that lives in the United States and also either speaks no English, speaks only English, or speaks a little bit of both. So it's the gamut of who we are. And I think it's fantastic because we in the United States, we get all of the Latinos, right? Like all of them, like all of the Central American folks, all the Mexicans, all the Cubans, all the Puerto Ricans, all the people, and and mind you, adding the Spanish folks to the mix because of the Spanish speaking component of it, right? The Hispanic aspect, even though they're not particularly Latino, but we're also thinking about it from the perspective of that that Spanish speaking angle of it. You get to get that data, and it's just so wonderful. It's so wonderful because now we can show. They're listening. You well, we've all
0: known. I just think it's funny that they don't know, but they have all these tools. And I go back to this, like, can't they just look and see? Like, they can gather for themselves. But yes, it does have to be presented in a way that speaks to their language. And because it's there, now they can't step back and say they don't know because here it is. And that's the whole point, right, in this industry. So it's important that we have this data to show to our industry sponsors, people that are maybe considering like, well, I don't know, like the numbers are there. There's a lot of numbers and data that you can pull from. Also, the tools that you're using for these platforms to show where in the country or in the United States in relation to this report and other Latino reports that are coming out I mean, the communication channel is one that I like to say is old school, but it evolves, I want to say, every few years, maybe even decades, right? Like the radio. Radio is still a big thing. However, this is kind of saying, oh, this is overtaking radio. But I don't believe that. I think that they're kind of different formats for a reason because of the generation, because there's still an older population that likes to listen to the radio. And then, you know, we have a bigger, younger population, which this report clearly shows a big majority of the of that Latino population is Gen Z and the millennials that are in the space that's growing. And that's the new group that's coming in, that's adopting a lot of this. They're not buying cars and driving all over the place. If anything, they're renting, if they do, right? They're renting, they're taking public transportation. I mean, they're changing their behaviors based on climate change, right? So radio is like you own your car and, you know, you're going to listen to the radio on your commute, to your drive, to where you're going. And
1: it's a different profile. And it's interesting because like the profile that you're talking about, we are all behaving so differently already when it comes to being in the car. And it's, to me, it's very interesting, even as a family family, You're at home where when we're in the car, I'm listening to a podcast. My husband's listening to like, he listens to YouTube videos, AKA podcasts possibly, right? He listens to those. My kid's listening to another one. But this is all happening at once. There's like four separate people who are together listening to separate things with because we can take that content with us. That was not something that you could do ever. Really, because you had to listen to what your parents are listening to. You had to watch what your parents were watching. And yes, there was some kind of autonomy for some kids, too, of course, but it, when it came to music, but to be able to take conversations and not only conversations around ed- like entertainment, right? Like, let's say, like comedy podcasts or things that are super silly and like that kind of stuff stuff, but also learning things like what if you're really looking for a therapist, being able to listen to podcasts about therapy or about psychology? What if you are looking to learn a different language? You can totally listen to a podcast that's going to teach you a different language. Then there's like just business type, the access to business information alone, Teresa, just the access to that and the impact that our own people have on us as immigrants, like shows that are really centering immigrants in a new country and how to navigate being a professional. There's folks like there's a podcast about like black women traveling outside of the United States or living outside of the United States. You know, that's a very specific audience and it's inspiring often marginalized communities to recognize that the world is so much bigger than what they see on the daily and That's the power. I think that's the power because that's what it did for me. In all honesty, that's what it did for me. I was stuck in a very specific type of situation when I was in Los Angeles in in a relationship that I thought I couldn't get out in a life that I thought I had resigned myself to have. And then when podcasting came into my into my ears, not because I wanted to do it, but when I started to listen, I was like, wait a minute, what? There's like a whole world out there. And it's yeah, there's movies you can watch a movie, you can watch a TV show. Yeah, that's inspiring too. But it wasn't the people, the everyday people. When you watch a movie, usually you're watching an actor and it's them. When I'm listening to a podcast, it was us, it was together. And they made themselves so accessible to me that I was able to ask for help from a podcaster. How do I work this computer? How do I, how do I put the microphone into the thing? Like, I'm afraid. Oh, don't worry about it. We can totally help. And I felt heard and seen and supported and welcomed. And I thought, I can do this thing. And it helped me. Podcasting helped me recognize that I was not resigned to a life that I just thought I was going to have for the rest of my life. You know, I switched it all up. So because of the voices in my ears. See, you just summed
0: that all up, right? From the very beginning, made you do the pivot into the industry to here we are now talking about Latinos in a report, how it's very important that our numbers are growing. We're talking to our community in an uninterrupted way with a one-on-one conversation and trying to activate them into moving into a power that they can own through a platform such as this. And we want to encourage a lot of people to understand that if you do this, it is a long game. If you're really excited about it, it's like training for a marathon, right? So Elsie, thank you for joining me today. I want to wrap it up here with this report that we'll have in the show notes. And thank you for mentioning all the wonderful mujeres that spearheaded this report along with you. And hopefully we can get them on the show here at some point in the future or how about this? We have a summit to talk about all of this. That would be lovely.
1: That would be amazing. We, I think we're going to have something like that coming up. Just keep an eye out. The other thing that's incredibly powerful about this r- report is that now we have cumulative data. And if you only have like a one, one data point for one year, that's powerful. But my goodness, this is going to be our fourth year doing this report and seeing those trend lines. Oh my gosh, there's nothing like it to be able to look at that, particularly because we went through the pandemic. So now we get an opportunity to see like how many people stayed, podcast listeners, right? What's the difference between pre-pandemic to post-pandemic? I mean, there's so much.
0: Right. And I I can't wait to, you know, see the new report and understand to look at those trends because that's what it's all about. So, thank you for joining me today on Latinas from the Block to the Boardroom. Elsie, where can we find you?
1: Oh my goodness, you can find me at uh, the Elsie Escobar on social and, you know, my website elsieescobar.com. But I would say listen to my podcasts if you could put, you know, the shows on your show notes. It would be amazing because that's probably where I'm the most consistent. You'll get to know me through my shows, The Feed and She Podcast. Of course, we will have you in
0: the show notes under She Podcast, your podcast with Jessica Cofferman and also The Feed with Rob Walsh of Lipson. Thank you, Elsie, for joining me today. I really appreciate you. Gracias. Thank you. Bye thank you elsie for joining me today on latinas from the block to the boardroom as i mentioned early in the podcast we are closing out season four and really looking forward to season five moving forward into 2024 you can find elsie's information at the escobar on ig which is instagram or you can also find her through she podcast which is also on instagram You can also reach out to her through LinkedIn at Elsie Escobar, working at Libsyn, and that's L-I-B-Y-S-N, if you'd like to get in touch with her and learn more about how she does her podcasts with Libsyn and how they give a lot of technology tips, as we mentioned in the podcast. If you'd like to know more about LatinasB2B.com, you can reach out to us at info, that's I-N-F-O, at LatinasB2B.com. Gracias. Please follow us on Instagram at LatinasB2B. You can also follow us on LinkedIn at Teresa e. Gonzalez. If you'd like more information about podcasting and how we're leveraging technology for our businesses and also storytelling and narrative telling for our businesses through these technology and podcasting platforms. This podcast was audio engineered and sound designed by Robert Lopez. Gracias.